This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Company. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI-audio's on-air community, and everyone's invited. And now, the host of today's show, Ramya Amuthan. It's a Friday. Thanks for joining us, and we love celebrating Fridays with you here on Kelly and Company. Joining me, as he has been for the last two days, is Brock Richardson. And Brocky, Fridays are special for all of us, but I think of you maybe I shouldn't anymore because we used to do the neutral zone handoff at the end of our Friday shows to let people know what's coming up at 4 p.m. on AMI audio which was the neutral zone no longer the case but doesn't it feel like that nostalgia still lives in you yes it does in fact Mm. I for the first like week and even two it was like Oh, I gotta go do my hit. Don't we're doing it on podcast, and I and I love the podcast for for different reasons, you know, because of the visual element. But I do miss the uh, live rate because you know Kelly brought this up a couple the the days, different things in a day defines the day for us, right? Wednesdays is AMI audiobook review taping day for me. Fridays was for you neutral zone day. Now. Tuesday, Monday is is taking over a bit more, uh, you know, that kind of thing. And even on the weekends, like people have different things that define the type of day or the thing that you're doing in the day or what you remember most or what you look forward to most or dread the most in a day. I used to (laughs) hate Tuesdays and I don't know what it was. I'm I'm still trying to figure out exactly what, but Tuesdays are always a bit of a sour point in my week and Maybe one of it is because it used to be my veggie day back before I liked eating vegetarian. And I was like, oh, today's a day I have to eat veggie. Nobody See, in the house is cooking meat. I, I would never have a day where I had to eat nothing but veggie. I just want to put, the, put that out there because it would be so Come bad. On. I, I'd be so grumpy if that was the case. Oh. Uh, but. But for me, it's, you know, it takes you a while to get out of one rhythm. But then once you get into a another rhythm, uh, it, it becomes second nature. And that for me is is Monday and sometimes Tuesday. And now doing sports on a regular with uh, Dave Brown, it just becomes, you know, habit. And for me, Mondays, by the time 4 o'clock or 5 o'clock hits, uh, I'm just like, okay, I'm done now. Like, uh, you know, mm-hmm. I... That's it, but but I love it because it just it keeps me going constantly, and and I love doing this and and learning, and we just we get to play radio as Kelly puts it all the time, and I like that the the redefining of a day, you know, put something in there that you like, and then it might change your whole perspective on that day. There we go. Let's do that for Mondays, people, as a collective. Now let's <laughs> find out what's coming up on today's edition of Kelly and Company. Deezer, this is something that can now identify songs that you hum. Can't wait to hear all about this with John Beeler of The App Show. Thunder Bay, Superior North MPP, Lizé Vozois, participated in the social assistance diet for two weeks. Karen McGee lets us in on the details. Also, we're talking audiobook trends. Something that's really been out there lately that people are checking out is called Kiss and Tell. And this is co-produced by Kevin Hart. It's newly trending, and we're going to learn more about it with Ryan Huey on the Chatty Bookshelf. 
And I know I said the app show. That's no longer a thing. Um, I meant the app update. Duh. <laughs> okay. Mm. Now, let's talk about some other things going on around the world. Starting in South Korea. South Korea's military wants to call up pop stars. The military may conscript members of the K-pop supergroup BTS for mandatory duties, as the public remains sharply divided over whether they should be given exemptions. The Commissioner of the Military Manpower Administration, Lee Ki-sik, has told lawmakers it's desirable for BTS members to fulfil their military duties to ensure fairness in the country's military service. Whether the band's seven members must serve in the army is one of the hottest issues in Korea at the moment, because its oldest member faces possible enlistment early next year after turning 30 in December. I'm Charles Tuladesma. Okay, so we talked, you know, over the last couple of days about politics and differences and how we can relate or be involved or even understand to a degree what goes on in other countries. Brocky the other day chatting about the famine in uh, um, Somalia and you know, talking about this with South Korea and mandatory military, I mean, it's a wild thought. And it clearly there's still some controversy and it's not actual decision making yet. It's just something to, to consider, I guess, for BTS members. But when we think celebrity uh, and all the kinds of, quote, special treatment that people get as entertainers and athletes, I always wonder you know, it's not necessarily the North American point of view, right? Like if we're talking about big uh, Bollywood stars in India and other parts of South Asia, do they get to just live the extraordinary bougie life and not have to consider uh, all the other kinds of chaos that they may face? Yeah, I mean, I, I when you first brought this uh, before we came on the show, it was like, this is weird, but then I, I, as the clip was playing, I started thinking, well, I guess if everybody has to participate, why should they not? You know, you know, we all have this. Oh, they're a celebrity. They, you know, they they wouldn't do regular civilian things. Well, I, I do see that, and I get that. But in this case, Korea is saying, well, no, you come help us in the military. Do I agree with it? No, it seems a bit weird to to say to BTS, you know come come help us in the military but in the in the grand scheme of things if everybody else has to why not them and it just shows that divide between you know regular civilian and celebrity yeah and i guess the um the part of it that we're not going to touch on is just the political landscape of south korea altogether but true you know there is really the question of if military is the natural course that a lot of men have to take then why put bts on a pedestal and i'm sure a lot of people have reasons why but um, we're gonna pause it there if the squabbling ever stops over elon musk's new uh, renewed bid to buy twitter experts say he still faces a huge obstacle to closing the 44 billion dollar deal Earlier this week, the Tesla founder reversing course, saying he'd go through with acquiring the social media company under the same terms they agreed to in April. 
Both sides are now fighting over whether Twitter's lawsuit against Musk should be dropped. For the deal to go through, Musk has to hold together a group of banks and investors that will help him pay for the purchase. Experts say that behind the scenes, banks could be scrambling to find buyers for $12.5 billion in debt from the deal, and Musk is trying to hold together a group of equity investors that is pitching in billions more. The erratic billionaire is on the hook for the rest. Julie Walker, New York. I mean, you don't even have to really understand anything that was said in this clip. But the one thing that I think is, I guess money can't buy you everything. I mean, we're talking about one of the richest men ever. And and yet he is fighting over Twitter still. And they are making sure he continues to fight. Let's take a break here on Kelly and Company, the Friday edition, and be back with reporter Grant Hardy. He's bringing us the latest lifestyle headlines. We'll be back. a Friday. It's also the Friday before the Thanksgiving long weekend. So everyone is doing something, hopefully, interesting, special, different to kick off the weekend for you, your loved ones, and maybe some planning of some gatherings. But I know it's not for everybody, but it's still something fun to think about. Just get festive. If you want to reach out to the show, tell us what you're up to. You can call us 1-866-505-4545 and leave us a voicemail. Please give us permission to play that on air if you want us to do so. Feedback at AMI.ca is our email address. And on Twitter, we are at AMI-audio. I'm Ramia Amadin and co-hosting with me for the last three days is Brock Richardson. We're also inviting in Grant Hardy because it's time for some headline chat usually gearing towards lifestyle on Fridays, but it's a little bit of everything these days. Grant, welcome back. Hello, folks. Thanks for having me on. No problem. Where do you want to start? Yeah, so we, you know, we've got the uh, long weekend coming up, which is going to be great and hopefully cozy for most people, but it's important to plan beyond that. And I think winter is going to seem a little closer from the other side of the long weekend. So I've got some tips from self for how to prep for seasonal affective disorder symptoms before they hit. This is something that, uh, you know, some of our provinces are obviously sunnier than others, but like here on the West Coast, we got some dark, rainy days ahead. And so symptoms of SAD can include sadness, gloomy outlook, feeling hopeless, worthless, or irritable, loss of interest or pleasure in activities you used to enjoy, withdrawing from loved ones, low energy, difficulty sleeping or oversleeping, uh, certain food cravings, weight gain, and even some more darker thoughts. Uh, but it's not all doom and gloom, don't, don't worry, because the key is just getting ahead of it while you still have that motivation rather than doing what I'm kind of doing right now, which is just pretending to myself that winter isn't coming. Actually, we've got some record warm temperatures here in October, so that's pretty easy to do. I'm actually still sitting outside every now and then on patio, but yes, apparently you're supposed to plan. So the key is 
to make sure to plan to be social. So for many people, summertime is synonymous with those rooftop, rooftop hangouts, the outdoor happy hours, the barbecues, the frequent trips to the park. As all that comes to a close, you may find yourself looking at a relatively empty social calendar. Uh, but while it might feel good to just chill out on your own uh, for a few weeks, you should be mindful of how much time you're spending with people outside your homes. You don't let that reset period become permanent. To hold yourself accountable, consider scheduling weekly or monthly hangouts, uh, such as starting a book club or a dinner club or a uh, board game night. They also suggest trying to get back into indoor workouts, including a friend date at the gym or buying uh, inexpensive workout equipment for your home or just looking up an indoor workout routine. And uh, we actually did some uh, a review a while back on the Revision Fitness Accessible Fitness app. I'm thinking that could be a perfect way to get some workouts in. Uh, and if applicable, some accessible outdoor activities as well. Uh, what do you guys think? Uh, have you guys uh, experienced? I know I personally uh, definitely have experienced these symptoms. How do you guys keep your winters uh, feeling energized? Yeah, it's definitely something you've shared on the show before, Grant. And I think that for me, um, I've been implementing these things without even necessarily realizing that I'm consciously doing it. So ahead of the real, real cold, like when we get into the deep freeze in Toronto, and that's usually Jan, Feb, which a lot of people call mm -hmm you know, winter blues, winter blahs anyway. Um, but December seems to be packed. November and December seem to be packed with any kind of opportunity, usually social, um, but all kinds of opportunities here in Toronto and the Blind Low Vision community is quite active around the holiday time. But Jan, Feb is when we start feeling bad or feeling um, less motivated for me. Very low energy. I'd rather sleep in than anything else at all, including food related stuff. So I do one of the things on your list, you were saying like plan the social activities, right? And that's what I do way ahead of time. Like, hey, guys, you want to do this in January? You want to do this in February? And I try to get a core group of us, at least people who live near each other, because the second thing we don't want to do is commute and travel and, and transport ourselves to places. So people who live relatively nearby, at least once or twice a month, try to get something in socially so that we have something to look forward to and something to actually show up for. Um, they, they keep you accountable for being there is really helpful for me. Yeah, I, th I think that's really smart. I, I remember even back when I was on a uh, Dragon Boat team, one thing I always said is like, because it's such a summer thing, right? Mm -hmm. I was like, you know, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be great if we could sort of keep together, keep cohesively and just hang out as a team throughout the year? And uh, we, we would kind of do that as we trickled into the fall. Um, but definitely as you hit those January, February months, it is harder to motivate yourself to do that. But it's just so important not to get into hibernation mode, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. The the thing that jumped out to me as you were talking about it was I think what has made a lot of people worry and compounded the issue more than 
already was the fact that when you got into the fall and the winter months, people started worrying about COVID. And, and you know, in the summertime, it's it's not as much of an issue for some people. But in the wintertime, that's when the, the you know, flu, cold and flu season, etc. And so for me, that's the thing that, like, it's like, oh, do I really want to do this because I don't know it, you know, and so you're questioning it. But for me, the other thing on top of that, guys, is you look at the time outside and you're like, man, it's four o'clock and it's pitch black outside. Oh, that's, that's it. What, that's where I find myself like, why am I so exhausted at four o'clock? Well, because the outside acts like it's midnight outside, you know, at four or five o'clock. And, and that's really hard to get yourself motivated at times like these. Yeah. Oh, it's so true. And this this article does suggest doing sort of a FaceTime friend date if you're very, mm. uh, you know, immunocompromised. But man, I got to tell you, those things are just draining, I would say. <laughs> you know, it is. It, it can be. Um, and it can like even though you're not going anywhere, it can feel like, oh, another Zoom call that I need to get on. But mm. that being said, Grant, I will say I have a biweekly call. Um, a lot of my my. Uh, friends, my girlfriends, who we've known each other for over 10 years now, we've all moved to different parts of either the country or internationally. So we try to do our best to keep these biweekly calls going. And that is quite nice because it's, again, like the standing social uh, thing, meeting that we can not just through the winter, but throughout the year, keep tabs on each other through. It's nice. Ah, that's really good to know that you guys have kept that working out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so maybe we'll move on here to a bit of a different note, a bit of a lighter note. Um, something that my province is doing, which is kind of interesting, is they're moving to create legislation that will permanently cap fees that are charged by food delivery companies. So the, this is from Global News. and The B.C. government has basically introduced uh, legislation to cap companies like Uber Eats, DoorDash, and Skip the Dishes from how much they can charge restaurants for food delivery. If you can believe it, uh, they've been charging uh, – the cap actually has allowed them to charge only up to 20%, which is like kind of amazing that they can get away with even charging that or more. This was a, a temporary thing kind of during the pandemic, and now we're looking at sort of rolling this out uh, in a more uh, permanent capacity. And it's also going to affect, uh, take away the, their ability to take money away from the delivery driver. So I think this is a really big thing that I've heard about where someone reports, you know, I'm missing, I got the wrong order, or I, you know, I'm missing my drink. And suddenly they end up like docking the driver's pay, which is like kind of mm -hmm. confounding. So I know you guys have talked about this. We've talked about this. We have so many companies like Uber and Skip that, that are just so convenient, especially for people with disabilities. But I got to admit that their net positive effect, if you talk to their quote unquote employees who don't make minimum wage to their restaurants, to all the kind of people that this these middlemen deal with, uh, unfortunately, it 
the effect is not always terribly positive. It isn't. No, it's, it, you know, I, you'll go to any, like any of them really. Like I'll, I'll get a, you know, my wife and I'll decide, oh, let's, let's pick up food and let's not go get it because of whatever the reason is. And you think to yourself, okay, well, I'm getting a burger, fries and a drink and, and she's doing the same. And then you think, okay, 25 $30 and all of a sudden you look up and you're like, wait, $45 when I could have driven and saved that extra, you know, $10, $15. Like, it's just crazy. The thing that I sort of get upset with, and you sort of touched on it, and I recognize it's not the driver necessarily because they're just the ones bringing the order and, and, and doing what they're doing. But you often get the, I'm, I'm missing a drink or I'm missing this. And then the driver just kind of looks at you with their hands tied and goes, I'm sorry, call the restaurant, which doesn't help you in the moment of like, but I wanted whatever it is I'm missing. And they say, well, okay, we'll give you a credit, which is all well and good. But what if I wanted my drink or my <laughs> fries in the moment? Like it doesn't, it doesn't seem to be, you know, advantageous to use these all the time. It's almost like it's designed to purposely obfuscate kind of the whole situation. I remember my partner contacting support and saying, like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm missing one of my, one of my, you know, tacos wasn't done the way I said it was supposed to be done. And they're like, oh, we're going to have to have a specialized support team look into this for you. And it's going to take a few days to get a response back. Uh, I mean, that's kind of like a funny one. You just have to laugh about it. Mm -hmm. um, but obviously, when you're dealing with more serious stuff like transportation woes, you know, drivers not getting paid, it, it's kind of just set up in this weird way as to not really hold anyone accountable. Yeah, exactly. And the easiest thing for everyone to do is just say, okay, we're going to reimburse your money. And then where does that money come from? And who's getting that docked from their pay? I've had conversations with um, restaurant owners who take part in Skip the Dishes and Uber Eats, obviously, to just get the word out, right? If you're a new restaurant, um, it, it makes sense for you to get on some of these really popular apps and get noticed. But they were like, it's literally not feasible. They don't make any money. If anything, they're losing money being on these delivery apps. And it's a, a struggle, just a complete pain trying to keep up with the demands and the protocols and the fees and all of these things that the, the um, apps require. But, you know, we see little to none of that, eh? Like on our end of it as customers it's, and consumers. We lose our money. Drivers don't get paid. Restaurants don't get paid. Ironically, these companies apparently are not that profitable. Wow. So maybe Where's the money going at? <laughs> maybe it's time <laughs> to reevaluate a little bit here and come up with a no bit of a better system. Okay, now let's go back to when uh, delivery was a bit of a novelty, you know? Thank you so much, Grant. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks, guys. Cheers. Uh, I'm totally kidding, by the way. Delivery is very important. All right, we're going to take a break. Be back with our app update. John Beeler's telling us about a few things to keep in mind. This is Kelly and Company.
classic example of a conversation we just had on lifestyle that leave you thinking, if not arguing directly with us over whatever device you're listening to Kelly and Company on. Because, you know, we have some thoughts, some opinions. They may not be yours, but it's engaging. Definitely engaging. Shout out to Grant Hardy for giving us our lifestyle headlines today and on Wednesday talking health with us. Next week, you can tune in for What in the World on Wednesday. And that's a more of a light conversation. Lots of funny stuff that uh, Grant will pick up for us. Now, Brock Richardson and myself, Ramia Amazon, we will get into the app update with John Beeler. And John brings us fun tech stuff to keep in mind. And John, we're starting with something, well, I mean, I'm looking forward to something particular, but it's not this one. But this one we'll start with. Facebook is adding show more and show less controls to adjust what you see on your feeds. I'm thinking that this is pretty good. Yeah, I, th- I think optimized. so. Yeah. Yeah. The, the idea behind this uh, or the speculation behind this is that Facebook is struggling to keep up with the TikTok generation because TikTok is like liquid liquid serotonin that uh, people can just keep <laughs> scrolling and, and the more uh. videos or the longer they linger on those videos, they can actually uh, get served more of that same type of thing. So uh-huh. Facebook wants to make it easier for you to do the same thing. And so the the show more and show less comes into this play by what? Is it kind of like Apple News? That's the first thing I thought of where, you know, you like something and then they're like, give me more of this or don't show me this kind of stuff again. Well, it seems to be rolling out in sort of two different phases. Okay. I just checked my Facebook feed and the um, uh, the original sort of premise behind this is that at the bottom of each post in your feed from your friends, family, whomever, there'll be a see more, see less of this button. But uh-huh. I don't see that yet. But there's little, the three little dots on pretty much every post. You can actually click on that. And there's like a deeper settings where it's like um, you have the option to then, uh, you know, they've sort of broken it down by friends and family, sort of any of the groups that you follow, and then just sort of like everything else, like uh, celebrities that you like or you know those types of things that get folded into your feeds you can uh, show more or show less and you can put a 90-day timer on it so that you know show, show me more for 90 days and then we'll see how we see how we feel after that interesting so there is a lot of customization going on on how much you want to see just in a post like in a single post <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's basically your, it's, it's your way of telling Facebook, give me more or give me less of this person or this topic or this, mm-hmm. uh, this type of stuff. So, um, it's interesting though, because TikTok sort of does it automatically because they know. Yeah, they don't how long ask any been... questions. No, they don't. They just know <laughs> that you, you spent an extra second on a video and now you're not going to get nothing but videos about turtles, you know, I that know, type of thing. It can actually get on your last nerve, to be honest, because from an accessibility point of view, sometimes you're like, what is this about? So you've lingered because no one yeah. said anything in the first two seconds. And now TikTok's mm-hmm. like, hey, I love how you <laughs> want to see these things. Okay, bring it on. And you have no real easy control of turning that off. No. At least is with there... Facebook, you kind of do now. Okay, I guess so. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know, but I still prefer yeah. TikTok over Facebook anyway. Sorry. Me too. <laughs> yeah. okay. I, I I third that as well. I'm you can get lost in TikTok very quickly because you're just like, 
oh, it's short video, and then you've watched a hundred and like fifty minutes, and it's How like, it oh, I just literally, literally did this. So yeah, it's it can be a dangerous place, social media in general. But I I like to see more, see less kind of thing. I think this is the one that Romeo was referring to, and I'm so happy I get to uh, chat with you about this one. Deezer can now identify songs that you can hum. Tell me more. Yeah, so Deezer might not be that popular of a music streaming service, but they do have quite a lot of uh, music. It's not unlike Apple Music or Amazon Music or Spotify. It's just another music streaming service. But sometimes, you know, and a lot of us have probably used uh, Shazam to sort of like, oh, what's that playing in this restaurant that I really like? Um, and it brings you a little pop-up saying what the song is. You can add it to your library, your playlist, et cetera. Well, now Deezer has this ability. You can sing, you can hum, or even whistle a track, and it will try to guess what the song is based on that little snippet. It, it seems to be it seems to work a little bit better if you're doing like the main chorus of the song or maybe that very specific hook um, from the song, as opposed to something, you know, deep in the middle of the song that uh, maybe isn't as recognizable. But it's a, it's a really interesting feature, and it's as far as I know, it's the only streaming app that has it built in. It's also worth noting that the Google search app on your phone can actually do something kind of similar. But Oh, course, yeah? Yeah. I was going to say, well, are there any comparisons? Because I haven't done this at all, and but it seems very crucial that we find some. Yeah, yeah. I think it's up for debate depending on on your your humming or singing ability as to which sure. which method will work better. Um, but I kind of like the fact that it's built into Deezer because it makes more sense there because then you can easily just add it to your playlist if it's a song that you're actively trying to listen to. I don't think either whistling, humming, singing will work for me because I'm tone deaf. And so it doesn't matter <laughs> what what I do with this app. It probably isn't picking it up unless I got like the key points of the uh, of the chorus. But that was the thing that popped up to me with this was like, how accurate is it? But I, you pretty well um, said, basically, it depends on how clear you are with this app as to whether it will pick it up or not. Well, and they have 90 million songs in their library, so I think, you know, they have a pretty good set of waveforms to start from. And, you know, once again, AI to the rescue, and it's figuring out in, in very little time what song you're actually trying to reproduce with your whistling abilities. I mean, they made a whole show on uh, Shazam about how fast it can pick up, you know, the song that you're looking for they made a whole game show out of it so i'm not surprised that this has come out i actually think it's kind of a cool thing because people may not know the words and it's like but it it sounds like this tune and i want to know what the song is so i think it's pretty cool we're also seeing a lot of new songs rehashing the sort of the chorus or the baseline from something you know from years ago so it'd be interesting to yes. see if some of these songs will, you know, you get multiple hits because it's literally hitting every decade of the iterations of that particular track. Hey man, multiple hits is better than no reference point at all. And you're like, I, I know, I know this, but you know, my friends have to go through this all the time where I'm humming stuff. And then they're like, no, we don't know. Yes, you do. 
So now I can just bother <laughs> Deezer with it. Um, but do you think, John, there's going to be a lot of uptake on Deezer? Because as you said, it's not as popular as Spotify or Apple Music or any of these other things. Um, do you think that there's going to be an uptake because of this uh, skill? Uh, it's hard to say. I think if you're a big music nerd, you might have more than one Maybe. music streaming service. And this is just yeah. another cool tool in their toolbox to help sell it. Okay. Maybe we try Google search first and then <laughs> move on. Okay, let's talk about EU's USB-C mandate approval because it's putting pressure on Apple to replace the lightning port. What's the context? Well, basically, governments around the world have uh, tried to force the issue for one standard charging platform. In this case, it's USB-C. Um, pretty much the entire Android universe has adopted this. Uh, a lot of current uh, laptops are starting to adopt this. And the idea behind it is to reduce e-waste. Reduce e um, ironically, though, if Apple was to adopt this, there would be a lot of e-waste from all their lightning cables uh, as people upgrade to their the various devices. Um, <sighs> It's interesting to see how this is going to play out. This doesn't come into effect until 2024, and Apple would also have two years after the effective date to actually comply with this. So they uh, technically have until 2026 to actually do this change. And it's unclear what Apple plans to do about this uh, because they could just strictly make uh, a USB-C version of the iPhone just for the EU, which doesn't make a lot of sense because you know it makes sense that they would have one platform that can be used globally. And they've already uh, transitioned things like MacBooks and uh, the, some of their iPad models to USB-C for charging as well. So it kind of makes sense. This is the way we were going. Uh, when Apple did create the Lightning uh, standard back in, uh, I think it was early 2000s, somewhere around there, there was a big uproar because they got rid of the 30-pin the connector. But mm -hmm. at the time, micro USB was popular for everything else. And there was very limited bandwidth, very limited um, power capabilities. And the lightning connector was sort of the precursor to USB-C in that it's, you know, it doesn't matter which way you plug it in. Uh, you know, do you remember having plug-in cables and you could never get it in right because it was mm -hmm. always the wrong way? You don't have to worry about that with lightning or USB-C. So, uh, and both platforms have quite a lot more bandwidth, much better power options. USB-C standard, though, I think it's going to be around for a while because they just recently announced that there's a new USB-C standard that's still backwards compatible with existing cables. So you're going to get more throughput, more uh, power capabilities with your existing stuff. So that sort of checks all the boxes as far as uh, eliminating e-waste. Um, strangely, though, uh, some countries are still going after Apple for not including charging uh, blocks and cables and things like that. Uh, I think it's Brazil that uh, is basically trying to force Apple to include a charging block, even though most people don't really need them because they have something already. Right. So, I mean, um, right now, Apple has, like, with your laptops and such, they have cables that isn't USB-C on um, both sides, or you know what I mean? It's USB on one side and USB-C on the other or something like that. And it's not necessarily 
standardized or I guess it not necessarily about being standardized it's more that uh, you know if you have a device that isn't compatible then you got to go and get another block right so are these kind of things stuff that Apple's considering and uh, making moves for or against or is this just something that we're all trying to unify to a degree well I think the world is trying to unify to make it you know very simple and standardized Um, Mm -hmm. but the sort of the gotcha here is Apple has a pretty healthy revenue stream by licensing the Lightning technology to the cable and accessory manufacturers. Oh, geez. So if you look on the packaging for those cables and those charging blocks and things like that, it says made, made for iPhone. Well, those manufacturers have to pay a fee to Apple to to do that and use their specification. So um, Apple's probably going to hold out as long as they can because, you know, it's basically free money for them to do that. Yeah, that is pretty concerning. I mean, as far as we know, it's being implemented, uh, the standardized USB-C is being implemented everywhere else but Apple. So how long can they really hold out? Exactly, yeah. Mm -hmm. But, you know, Apple's, maybe they're going to come up with something else because they're famous for doing that. You remember when they got rid of the floppy disk, they got rid of the USB ports, like they're always sort of doing their own thing. And... uh but I can see the pressure, you know, especially if the, the EU, I should make it clear, the EU hasn't actually made this the rule yet. This is sort mm-hmm. of before Parliament, but it's expected to pass because there's really not a lot of resistance to it. But I could see Apple being forced to sort of fall in line in this respect. Um, there's no technical reason that they can't. Um, they're, you know, the other interesting piece of this is there's even some talk about forcing manufacturers to not even have a cable at all and support something like wireless charging as a yes. standard across all devices. Right. And and that's fine too. It's just for me, because Apple's always trying to um one up, if you will, the yeah. the the question is when are they gonna think of the next best thing for fast charging, faster charging, fastest charging, and yeah. uh, you know, break break it that way. All right, well something to consider, but I can't wait you know, to, to not have to ask someone if they are carrying my cable because I forgot mine at home. It's just all going right. to be the same. Awesome, John. Thank you so much. Thank you. John Beeler joins us for our app update on Fridays and today uh, highlighting a bit of Apple, a bit of Deezer, and a bit of everything else technology. After the break, we're checking in with Karen McGee. She's telling us about the social assistance diet that some government officials have taken part in we're going to find out how they reacted to it we'll be right back this is Kelly and company Kelly and company on a Friday afternoon. We've talked turkeys a little bit this morning on Now with Dave Brown. And I'm not having turkey this weekend, but I feel like I'm going to miss it. It's not even a, a tradition, not something that we've done for so long that I'm like, oh, it's not happening this year. Not at all. I think I've, we've done turkey once. <laughs> we've done all kinds of other things, but just once for turkey. Oh, no, twice. But somehow it feels like it's going to be strange not having turkey. Brock, are you turkeying on Thanksgiving weekend? Oh, actually, I'm not. 
a hundred percent sure. My mother-in-law. You yourself that you were gonna just now? I I was going to, and then I realized where it was I was going, and I'm like, eh, because my mother-in-law tends to mix things up a little bit, and then mm-hmm. uh, next weekend. I was told because my Thanksgiving continues. I was told by a credible source that uh, we will be having uh, turkey. So I will be getting turkey at least once. But uh, uh, Megan's family sometimes turkey, sometimes ham, sometimes other things. So I don't oh, okay. really know. But I confidently was like yes, and then I had to pump the brakes. It was right. like yeah. eh, maybe not, maybe not. All right. All right. So you're having some some version of turkey somewhere somebody's house. yes yes <laughs> i am but and i um my brother's gonna make prime rib so that's still good oh that's that's it's still really great. good yeah yes. it's just not turkey and I've, i'm missing turkey uh, yeah turkey can be really good but it can be too much after so long too mm. something that is never too much is our reports from our regional content uh development specialist and today we're joined by karen mcgee from morrisburg ontario karen how are you i'm good and i just had turkey poutine oh my god yum oh from a chip truck a real chip truck like shredded Uh, shredded so it was like french fries and then turkey shredded turkey and then stuffing and gravy oh get out Um, a mike ross would hate that why you know, would he eat he, that? Because he only eats traditional poutine, right? So he's, when you get him riled up about, I know when you oh, get, I, when he, it's so fun getting him riled up about like. I do enjoy getting poutine. Mike riled up. That is one yeah. of my favorite pastimes. Ah, uh, this would have been a great one to bring up on the morning show, man, because he was talking about how he loves turkey leftovers. He buys a bigger turkey than normal to do all the leftover stuff. Yes, I do so too. If you had mentioned, and one idea would be a leftover turkey poutine, poutine. he would have gotten. <laughs> his Poor reaction Mike. would have been precious well he cheers to the leaves eh? so there's no accounting for taste <laughs> whoa well, hi brock whoa. hi brock hi brock how you doing buddy how you doing buddy <laughs> good how are you let's move on from the leaves before we get way too far down a rabbit hole that we can't get out of uh speaking of food however uh thunder bay superior north mpp Liz- lise vozois uh, participated in the uh, social assistance diet for two weeks. What is the social assistance diet? So the goal of this campaign is something that the NDP party did is to raise awareness of how challenging it can be for people who are food insecure and how challenging it really is to eat healthy. Um, so the MPPs went for two weeks by eating only what they could buy or 95.21, or 47.60 per week, which is what the NDP says is an approximate two-week grocery budget for social assistance recipients. And Lise found this very challenging, which is not surprising. Um, she found she had to do more meal planning. She often had to think about, um, which she eat, did she eat enough in the morning? She found that she didn't. She was hungry before lunch. And that the hunger really affected her thinking. I know we've, taught, we've heard of studies of kids in schools who... If the kids who don't have breakfast um, don't do as well in school, who are who don't have you know you don't eat properly, don't do as well in school, and that's why a lot of schools now have breakfast programs so the kids can start the the week off right, the day off right. She ate a lot of sandwiches, a lot of eggs, and she ran out of money five days into the experiment and had to rely on what was in her pantry, which is a luxury that many people don't have. 
Um, it was a very eye-opening experience for her. Yes. And so can we go into specifics about what was said about this experience? Um, that she, that she, um, again, it was really, really challenging for her. Um, it, it's, it really opened her eyes to how people who are on Ontario Works and ODSP, how challenging it can be to live, because especially if you've got to feed a family for that. So you think like $97 for groceries for two weeks, I think I spend that on a one trip. And I probably go to the grocery store every three or four days. And it's just two of us. I'm making it sound like we eat a lot. But to buy like, the fruits and the vegetables, you can't do that. So like, she was relying on things like like buying a dozen eggs and eating hard-boiled eggs, um, which is not sustainable for people. I was uh, watching the uh, news clip on this very story to get the pronunciation of her name, uh, first and foremost. And then secondly... The thing that I noticed was that she was extremely, like, uh, shaky after a certain point of this um, scenario. But then it was like, yeah, I recognize I can't eat on this uh, diet. And then the newscaster basically said she'll eventually go back to her regular diet, but most people won't. Which is sort of uh, one of those underlying things that people don't realize if you're on social assistance it's it's cool to to try it and see what people go through but they can go back on their regular diets whereas some individuals can't so with there that is an end game. what there's an end game right she knew she only had to do this for two weeks and she could go to her pantry how many people who rely on services like this have a pantry full of food yeah, that's right. Like, I mean, when I was solely reliant on ODSP and, and that, there was no extra. It was like, what can I get this week that will make it work for me? And that's it. So, you know, the idea of, uh, of going to the pantry when I saw that, I kind of shook my head and go, yeah, but that's not the normal life of people that live on social assistance. It's just flat out not. And I think that this needs to be looked at. With that said, though, what are they going to do uh, about this moving forward for people who might struggle with this very thing? So, I mean, Ontario, uh, the NDP are not the ruling party. It is the Conservatives. So, But the Ontario NDP are going to call on the province um, to double Ontario Works and ODSP rates. There are, oh, are 900,000 people in Ontario that receive social assistance, that's that's a lot. Um, that's like the population of Ottawa. Um, she feels, Lise feels the current rates are essentially punishing people for having a disability or for being out of work. Um, just some other numbers, ODSP recipients receive around $1,227 per month. Ontario works uh, $733 per month. So that's in total to cover all living expenses. And by the time you pay rent, um, bill, rent, your hydro bills, your internet, um, if you have it. Uh, the forty-seven sixty for food that she got was actually kind of generous. Um, they're also hoping to spend the next few weeks gathering stories from people in ODSP and Ontario Works and then passing these stories on to the provincial government in the hopes that maybe what people have been calling for for as long as I can remember to increase these rates because it's it's not sustainable for people. Especially at the price of groceries, Karen. Like, I mean... Forty-seven dollars. I, I I do that on the first aisle, probably. Honestly, with 
my my wife and I, and it's just the way it is. So I really hope it changes. Coming from a situation where that's all I relied on for, you know, the first mm-hmm. half of my adult life. Yeah, it's it's like it's it's not fair to people. It's not it's right. Not. In my opinion, I need to add my opinion. It's in my opinion. Yeah. And it is very relatable for so many people around the country uh, living on social assistance or minimum income and feeding uh, entire families, for example. Karen, another thing to talk about, four years ago, this is kind of a nice story, a tornado destroyed several homes, that's not the nice part, in Dunrobin, (laughs) Ontario, and the Nicholsons had to rebuild, and they found a unique way to give back to the people who helped them. And before we talk about what they did, this uh, unique idea, can you tell us a little bit about the Nicholsons? So Todd is a former Paralympian and his wife, Emily, and their children, Tate and Gwen, lost everything when the tornado came through. And I, you guys aren't from the Ottawa area, but um, Dave and I were talking about this on Now the other day. And, you know, we remember that day. Um, it affected Dave quite a bit, um, but they lost everything. They weren't home, thank heavens. But one of the few things, you know, their goldfish survived and that's about it from their house. Um, they had to rely for the next 499 days before their new home was built. They had no place to live. They spent time with friends and on couches. Um, uh, Todd uses a wheelchair. Um, so, you know, they had to reduce the places where they could stay safely. Um, because it took almost 500 days to build their fully accessible house. So Emily told the Ottawa citizen, for most people, building a new home was exciting. And it really wasn't for them. Um, they were building it because of a tragedy, and they loved their old house. Um, the family actually helped build the new house. Emily did everything from drywall to to stonework. Um, but something really special came out of it, and it is Thanksgiving, so it's a good time to talk about it. Um, they put in their new house something called a gratitude wall. Um, and it's a wall that's covered in tiny hearts, each with a name written on it, and it is placed beside others in a frame. And this wall honors people who they call the helpers. And this is everybody from people who brought them clothes to dinners to people who lent their expertise to building the house. Um, just it's a way for them to look at the wall and be grateful um, for what they have because they'd lost everything. But these people helped them get back what they have now. So I just that gives me the goosebumps. I've, I've met Todd and Emily. Um, they are the nicest people. And I just I get goosebumps when I think that they have this wall in their home now. Yeah. Well, tell us quickly, Karen, because I don't want to miss out on how they thought of the wall. Um, Sorry, not the wall, but the book. Uh, And it's a limited edition. Our family is grateful. But if people wanted to get a copy, is there a way? Okay, so, uh, yeah, sorry, they wrote a book. So Remy had a blog. Somebody suggested she write a book. She wrote a book, a children's book that talks about our family is grateful. Um, It's available in English and French. It's been gifted to communities, families, children, first responders to be used as a tool to navigate some challenging times for families. It's a reminder that in crisis, we are never alone. So this book is helped to help families through disasters. Um, They also gave it to thank you to the people who helped them that are on their their grateful wall. Um, You can, there's only one printing. You can request your copy by emailing ourfamilyisgrateful at gmail.com. Oh, this is so lovely. Honestly, they're so grateful. And that the the wall of hearts and names is just like such a sentimental way to remember, uh, first of all, how long and how many people in that length of time helped them out. Yeah, I I love that. I love the idea. I mean, you and I are both big book people. We've talked about this mm-hmm. before. And I love the idea that she made a book to thank people too, that it can be used yeah. as it's being used as a tool 
like for first responders, when a family has a disaster, they're giving mm -hmm. it to families and letting them use it. So I think that's a really, really neat way to pay everything forward. For real. Awesome. Awesome stuff as always, Karen. Thank you so much. Always and a we'll pleasure, my friends. Have a great weekend. You too. That was Karen McGee, our original content development specialist from Ottawa and our original content development specialist. Join us on Wednesdays and Fridays right here on Kelly and Company. In the next hour of Kelly and Company, we have the chatty bookshelf with Ryan Hui telling us about a fun book. We're also doing Cut for Time where we reflect on the week's conversations. But after the break, we have The Buzz with Bill Shackleton. Kicking off the second 50% of Kelly and Company, second half, hour two, whatever you want to call it in your head, it is the best of the Friday show because it means we're getting closer to your long weekend and that's always a fun time. Yo, we talked about cranberry wine yesterday on the morning show in there and this cranberry wine, Rocky, I don't know if you're a fan of wine, but it is the notes of difference um, but I guess because at times he likes the Muskoka uh, wine but I feel like any of the cranberry wines will do just because it's something fun to try and to pop a bottle open during Thanksgiving weekend now is this something you would try out so I have to be honest yesterday I was it was still on uh, my tv because um, Catherine watches me every morning even though she sets me up and it was still on when you guys were chatting about this. And I honestly thought to myself, hmm, I'm not a big wine guy, but cranberries and wine would probably do pretty good. So I, I'm and then he got me thinking about the Muskoka wine. I thought, OK, this is this is good. So, yes, I learned so much as we roll through the morning show and our daily programming. And wine was one of the topics yesterday. Yes. Exactly. I mean, I know that I would try it. I have tried it in the past and loved it. Now, we got to move to Billy around the table and ask you, Bill Shackleton, would you try cranberry wine? Do you do you enjoy wine drinking? No, I not really. Not not okay, not really. Cranberry no. beer. Uh, if it were, yeah, I would. I'm a beer person, not a wine person per se. I like champagne, but I don't like wines. No, right, not okay. really. Okay, some of the sparkling. But if there was like a cranberry yeah. seltzer or or a, a cranberry, um, what do you call these again? The the grapefruit wine, uh, grapefruit beers that people say are not really beers. Yeah, like I kind the of, that, coolers, the seltzer one. Yeah, the coolers. Yeah, mm -hmm, cooler. They're pretty there's, good. There's one more I'm thinking of. But anyway, yeah, that you might try. Okay. Yeah. Keep an eye out for you, Billy. <laughs> Keep an eye. Yeah, you never know. All right. Okay, what do you have for us? This is the Buzz with Bill uh, for Thursdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. This is how we start off our second hour. You got some Friday articles for us? Yeah, we do. I'm on, I wanted to do this one on, it's Tom Brady. It, I'll warn you, it's not a sports story per se, um, but it's Tom Brady's TB12 method is in schools. Experts have doubts. 
coming from the Associated Press. And this story just shows you how much influence a person can have. Now, we all know about Tom Brady and how good he is. Um, he has developed, he has a fitness program, and he's developed this TB12. Um, the, that's the charitable arm of his fitness program. And it involves a diet regime and using specialized equipment um, that, that he's used. And basically, um, you know, he's been around for a long time. He's a, one of the, well, if not the best quarterback that ever played. And it, some of the experts are having doubts that this plan that he's, that, that is, that is in schools in some schools is basically based on pseudoscience and not, and not based on what they consider to be good, um, you know, good training methods. And it's very I, interesting. Uh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Finish. No, I was just going to say, it's like the article admits that he is not a physical fitness expert. And you, you just wonder that the kids are picking up on this program. Kids love it. Some experts think it's great, some not. But it's it's the influence that he has over elementary and high school kids and some educators who, you know, who love what he's done. And you have to admit, what he has done is fantastic. It works for him. But is it going to work for everybody else? And how safe is it? It works for him, yes. I yes. would also put on the table that are we looking at the brand and who the person is and yeah, saying, well, right. it's it's Tom Brady and look at Tom Brady's success. That's what I get fearful that schools are, are grabbing onto and even children are grabbing onto because if you ask anyone on the street, you know, who's GB12, they're going to come up with the name more more often than not. And I just fear that this is more about the brand that we're looking at versus the whole workout and what he's doing. I'm not going to argue that he's a great athlete, done everything that he could possibly do in sports, but I do very much fear that it's more about the brand versus what's actually being done. I actually couldn't agree more. Um, and it, it's going to be, apparently it, it's, it's it's going to be in more schools. I'm not sure that it really should be. I, you know, the experts are saying that the, it maybe needs more study. Um, and it's it's the brand isn't the kind of thing we should be looking at. We should be looking at the safety of our kids, of their kids, or our kids, and you know how it will be instinct to see. Um, what benefits kids do get from this? Yeah, if they get any, sure. and are they and are they on board simply yeah. because it's Tom Brady? That's that's you know, the thing, right? I'm doing the TB12, you know, regime, and that's I, I just I'm a little bit leery of all this, to be honest with you, Bill. Um, yeah, because it's him. Um, I'm I'm a, I'm leery too. So we'll see how this goes. Yeah, I think it's the, obviously, the, you know, whether the routines and the techniques are scientific or not, that's the big question here, right? Like on whether it should be brought into schools and 
um, people's, I guess, opinions is really what it is of whether it's appropriate or not. But the big part of it to me, actually, is that people are interested. They're interested in fitness and interested in nutrition and diet, even though that word is not great right now. Um, and if you're getting people wanting to take part in some kind of physical activity, uh, then that's a plus. Well, I think that's where the connection is, that people are interested in dieting and, and, and more kids are. So, yeah, that, I think that's where the connection comes in with or this. eating better. Really, yeah, like it, right, not right. necessarily dieting to lose weight, but you know that connection. Like I have a friend who just recently got, uh, you know, set himself up with a a pretty regiment fitness routine, and now that's spinning into better eating habits, which is spinning into better mental health conversations. And like you see how it's all mind, body, soul. Right. Like it's all everything connects back into each other and everything is helpful to everything else with your body, your mental state, uh, what you're putting in to fuel it. And um, so whatever the case may be, it's, to me, the, the upside of it is that kids want to get physically fit and physically yeah, involved. And maybe maybe it's fine. You know, it, it's it's you know, it's it's kind of early to speculate on it, but yeah, maybe it's going to work fine. Yeah, we don't know, but we do know, like no. you guys are saying, the influence of celebrity status and of, you know, big guys, uh, big people in the industry coming up and saying, hey, let's do this here. You know that that's going to be a big uptake. And right. society is strongly influenced to begin with. So you you put a, a polarizing figure and you say, try this most people are gonna say okay well it must work because it's x person and i'm not and i'm not just saying tom brady i i'm saying there are other people that would have similar influence so that's what scares me a bit on all this Yeah, yeah well you know there there are plenty of examples on twitter and facebook where experts will endorse a product and it's like it's pretty scary mm-hmm yeah. All right, we'll keep posted though, Billy, and see how uh, people are reacting to this uh, as it continues to be implemented. What else do you have? Well, this is a kind of an interesting one. Um, Canada helps buy by Juno Beach land um, in order to stop a, a proposed condo development in France. So this is from CTV News, and it's kind of interesting. So Juno Beach, for people who don't know, and I don't know a lot about it, but it was it was a landing site, one of the landing sites for D uh, for for D Day, and Canadians paid a heavy heavy price. It was many 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 Canadians killed. So there is basically a museum, um, you know, on the Juno Beach site, and there was a condo developer in France that wanted to build a development. And this got the Canadian government involved because, of course, there's so many Canadians buried there. So they, the, the government is actually the, – the, the Canadian government has put in a whole bunch of money to buy the land from the developer in order to save this, this really precious museum that means so much, particularly to war veterans – and what's interesting about this for me for me is you know who would care Canadians don't care about they wouldn't even know so it's it's good that this was brought to 
the, the government's attention in this country and and they decided that it was important enough to buy this land to prevent a you know a development and preserve a piece of particularly Canadian history. Mm-hmm. So they're buying the property, yeah, like the museum, are. to to preserve uh, it or and, near and or near it, maybe near it. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. You know what? I, we don't have much time, but I just want to say kudos. We, people might think that it's a far step. Uh, obviously, that is uh, one of the opinions out there. But yeah, like we don't know much about our history and condos no. and all kinds of new development. Just, you know, demolish and carry on is the, the new thing. And unfortunately, it, for so many people and so many organizations and so many structures, this is just not okay. We're losing history with the blink of an eye these days. So, yeah, let's preserve some of that. Thanks, Billy. I agree. Thanks a mm-hmm. lot. Thank you so much. We didn't get to the third one, but it's all right. Friday Vibes with Bill Shackleton on the buzz. After the break, we have the Chatty Bookshelf with Ryan Huey, where he's going to review an audiobook that's trending. We'll be back. Thanks for hanging out here on Kelly and Company, sticking around till the end of the show because we still have some fun conversations and new things that you can discover probably. Take some notes on a book maybe. But anyway, if you missed any part of the show, you can of course check us out on our repeats. AMI audio news schedule every eight hours back to the top of the rotation. So check us out for our next two repeats. You can also go to your favorite podcast platform and download the podcast full show or segment wise. And we're available for you there also. Brock Richardson has been hanging out with me for the last couple of days. I'm Ramia Amuthan. Thanks for listening. You know, we talk about staples during the weeks. Every day there's a staple in some form or another. And one of the Friday staples is the Chatty Bookshelf with Ryan Hui. So let's get into it. Who knew an entire library could fit inside your pocket? My name is Ryan Hui. This is the Chatty Bookshelf and we talk all things audiobooks. Hello, Ryan. How are you? Hey, thanks for having me, guys. I'm pretty excited. I mean, it's one of the best months sports-wise of the year, but I know we can't really get into that, but I'm uh, excited uh, to be uh, here, uh, you know, okay. doing my Friday staples, and uh, you know what? Jeff, I, I really says, yes, it. we can, and he's the one controlling <laughs> I, the show today. <laughs> and I second that, so now Rami is outvoted, so we'll just talk Three sports. One. Yeah. Uh, but oh, Ryan also loves the books, boss, so right? I yeah. don't think... Well, I know, I know, yeah. it's, it's one of the <laughs> he's other torn. at this point. <laughs> I did, guys, I did want to start off with a little bit of sad news uh, before before we get into it. Uh, so uh, prolific narrator uh, Dick Hill has actually passed away this year um, or this week. And you know what? It's, it's unfortunate because he's brought so much joy, so much entertainment and so many different stories uh, to, to the audiobook world. He's done a lot for the publishing scene and things like that. So uh, he's being remembered through uh, social media. He's narrated over a thousand audiobooks, if you can believe it. And uh, he actually would be most remembered for the Jack Reacher series, which has sold millions and millions of copies. 
but I just wanted to, you know, give a quick shout out and uh, say thank you for all that you've done for the, the audiobook world because uh, he's really um, one of the staples, as we have kind of said that as our word of the day uh, of the audiobook, audiobook world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, always thousands always sad. of titles. Yes, I know. And always sad when we lose a narrator or someone significant in the audiobook world, you know, a familiar name or voice and, uh, or, or, you know, writing, I guess too. Um, but it's, it's because it feels somehow for me, it feels like it's still pretty tight knit. So when we have, you know, great authors, great narrators, uh, it feels like such a big loss for the, the entirety of audiobook listening. No, and you know what? The the big thing is like you're going to hear that voice over and over again because they, those right. books are so popular, and it's just yes. going to bring you back. It's going to flash back to that point in time or uh, that certain memory, or hey, the first time you listened to this book, sort of thing. Of or I've already looked through my library and saw that there's several. I can't even count the amount of titles in there by him. Uh, so I'm I'm going to try and get back into that and uh, hopefully uh, you know have some good memories of when and where I listened to them or the first time I heard his voice that sort of thing. But the Jack Reacher series is pretty awesome. So uh, if you guys are into the thriller stuff, go go pick it up because I'm sure there's going to be some memorial sales and stuff on on uh, on Audible and stuff, so you can get his stuff anywhere possible. Awesome. Well, condolences to the family for sure, and and you know when you think about thousands of audiobooks, that's uh, pretty incredible. Uh, where else are we going today, Ryan? Such a cool idea, and I know I say that every week, but it seems that uh, every week there's something just a little bit new. So there's a new audiobook that came out just last week, uh, so not this Tuesday, but last Tuesday, and it's topping all the charts everywhere, but it's got a little bit of a twist to it. And uh, I know I say that quite often, but you know what? This one is really cool. It's got some great ideas, and I can't wait to tell you guys about it because it's absolutely brilliant, hilarious, and it, it kind of checks all the boxes because you get a little bit of everything in, in it. So um, it's it's a, it's a really cool listen, and I really hope after you guys hear everything about it that you guys will go pick it up because it is kind of available almost everywhere at this point. Okay, I'm really excited to find out more about this because there's some big names. There is. So it's co-produced by comedian Kevin Hart. The book is called Kiss and Tell, and it's a series of short stories. Um, almost uh, every chapter is a little bit different. Sometimes there's two uh, two stories in one chapter, but it's all of the craziest dating stories that you could possibly imagine from first dates gone wrong to Tinder dates, uh, this and that. Um, obviously I can't say a lot of the things that they say on the air are in the book, but it's, it's really a great thing. And it's so funny, some of the stories and you're like, no, there's no way that happened. Um, but what's really great about this book is that it sprinkles in celebrity dating stories amongst just dare I say, commoners like ourselves, right? So they actually put a post out, a tweet a while ago and said, hey, DM us if you have a crazy dating story and we'll reach out if if we want to include you in the book. And so they started including people's stories into this book and people were going crazy and they said they got millions upon millions of dating stories from every walk of life, from people that were 16 years old and it's their first date ever to people that were you know, 45 and just coming off a divorce and they went on a, a first date or to people that are in college and having fun uh, to, to to just older people that have been on their one millionth date and they've been married for 25 years and there's a, you know, a 35 year, something like that. And it's just really, really a great kind of 
mix of stories that go in there. Some are funny, some are really good, some are horrifying, and those ones actually seem to be the funniest. But <laughs> it, it's 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 just it's unbelievable. I couldn't I couldn't put it down. I I wanted to stay up late, really late one night, and just and just go through it all. Wow. So you're saying that the more horrifying ones are the funniest, well, seem to be the funniest, um, which is why I started laughing before knowing, right? Because I was like, yeah, those got to be the funniest. Anything particularly about Kevin Hart's um, involvement? So he does give a tale of uh, Kevin Hart does give us a little. Uh, does story. he? Uh, yes. Uh, and it's it's near the end. So you guys are going to have to listen all the way through, which uh, I don't think you guys will have a problem. But he does give a little one. And it's right after another celebrity is uh, Rachel Bloom. And it's really, really funny. Hers is so funny. And she makes a line in there that I hysterically died laughing at. And there's actually a video on uh, on Twitter about. And she says that she invented ghosting because that's all she does she's like i think i invented it back in the day because people would reach out with uh whatever pictures on on um a dating site and she just never talked to anybody and uh her her story goes on because she's kind of a comedian she wrote um a few shows shows for the wb and she is very very funny and energetic and the way she tells her story is is it was one of my favorites throughout the uh throughout the the whole book and for good reason and i think it will be a lot of your guys favorites too I think for me, what what kind of stands out is that we've all gone through those horrible, you know, dating situations or dates or whatever. And a book like this kind of will allow you to do two things. One, understand that you're not the only one. And two, possibly understand that it always could be worse because by the sounds of it, they put some of the horrifying date stories where you might look and you might say, well, that never happened to me. I only had this happen. So although we're kind of making light of it and it's a bit of a comedy, it can be very relatable at the same time, Ryan. No, I think you're right. I think the the first part that you said, you know what, you're not alone. The strength in numbers piece is, is really, uh, really great because some people do go through some hard times when when dating. Um, but the, the second part is, you know what, it might even, we can even add a third part to that it might even help you laugh at yourself um, because if you can't laugh at yourself, then, you know, what are we doing in life? Right. I think that despite everything, you just got to over time, of course, you might just want to sit back and laugh at the situation and be like, Oh my goodness, I can't believe that happened. Right. Or uh, just in, in terms of that. But yeah, when I, when I say some of the horrifying, I just, I can't believe that some of these happened and uh, they, they just get funnier and funnier. And I really love this book. This is going to be in my top five for sure this year um hands down it might it might even be pushing closer to number one as well and for the last i'd say five years or so it's been a science fiction book that's been my number one so this is uh given everyone a run for their money and uh the producers of this book simon and schuster did such a good job of getting the voices in there telling the story the way it was supposed to be told and uh really focusing in on the horrifying parts, the funny parts, the sad parts, the the happy parts, because uh, uh, not all of them are, are horrifying, but those are the ones I remember most. Yeah, I mean, it's fun when you get a book that kind of just, like, I've always kind of done books this way where if it's trending or if it's, you know, super recommended and I there's an inkling of interest and I'll just go check it out right it's not the way that everybody operates you know just going out and checking out a book because it's all over the the internet the biggest latest rave but it is fun 
especially with this kind of thing, because it's full of stories. And stories are a really nice way to kind of read, I don't know, can we call it nonfiction? But, you know, experiences, right? We're we're looking through the internet, checking out TikTok and all these different ways to hear about people's uh, experiences on topics like this. But to read it through a book, and especially in an audiobook form, is kind of fun. No, you're right. And it's really funny because when you do search it on Audible, it comes up as comedy, uh, something else, and then nonfiction. And I, th- I was like, yeah. hey, that's a little strange. But then I thought about it. I'm like, oh, it actually is nonfiction. Technically. Like, okay. Yeah. So yeah, it, it's it's really interesting. And you know what? I don't know if this will ever happen, but I see this becoming some sort of like show or, you know, some sort of like uh, someone's going to buy out the book and be like, hey, let, let's let's produce this to, to, to go to a mainstream movie or uh, television or Netflix or, or something because it sold so many copies already and it's only been out for a week. And I can't uh, I mean, it's available in all three formats and get your ebook, your print, your audio. Um, it's available practically everywhere from Google Books, Apple Books, uh, Audible. Sila is uh, having it, uh, as I've spoken to someone. So they're in the midst of getting it too. So uh, it's all over at every single library you could possibly imagine. Toronto Library has it. Uh, and it's just wonderful. It's it's great to see that, that this is getting so much attention and that it's so well done. I think that they really were able to capture all of the stories the way they were supposed to be. And it's stories of of regular people, you know, like like us. It's not oh here's, you know, all of these celebrities' horrible dating stories. It's like these are common people just looking for love the way the same way that a lot of us mm. are. I guess there for is sure. quite a bit of vulnerability that comes with sharing things like this. I mean, Kevin Hart is a nice choice for it because he's already talked about a lot of his woes in his love lives. Uh, I say love lives. Because <laughs> I was a, a plural there. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Because he has so much history that he's shared in his stand-up comedy. But you know what I mean? Like, it's funny to us. And, of course, we can relate or think, oh, man, they've got it way worse than I did. You know, that kind of thing. But it does take a lot of vulnerability. Like, earlier this year, we read, um, oh, man, Modern Romance. And it was, a like, we had some of the author who's also a comedian and his name slips me right now, but uh, he had some like personal uh, recollections and reflections throughout the book, but a lot of it, he was getting from all his subjects, right? His research people around the world. So it was interesting to kind of get all that and, and still think I was thinking throughout that entire book, man, you guys are sharing so much. Like, I don't know if I'd ever be able to do something like this, but that's the whole point. No, and you're right, and that's why I think it's it's key that they they gave it the perspective they did. Right, it's not a celebrity down kind of trickle down effect. Yeah. This is like, hey, let's let's do this for everybody, and I think that's where the success has come. Obviously, it would have been successful to some extent, uh, no matter who is in the book. But the fact that it's worldwide from everywhere, people, hey, submit your stories, and you could be chosen. That sort of thing. Exactly. I, I think it's 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 making it the marketing right. We always talk about the marketing, and I think that's where from day one they started off doing this right so guys check it out it's called kiss and tell and uh co-producer is kevin hart on there so if you type that in literally at any book uh retailer it will pop up awesome and also it's aziz Ansari who wrote modern romance fyi i love him he's he's hilarious yeah yeah (laughs) well you definitely have me interested in this book ryan and i will be checking it out no doubt thanks for this and uh i look forward to reading it and we'll talk to you next week
Thanks so much. And who are you kidding? You're not reading anything in the next two months. It's all baseball playoffs and sports. But uh, <laughs> thanks for having me, guys. Have a great long weekend. Happy Thanksgiving to everyone that celebrates. And we'll talk to you soon. You as oh, well. Snap. And Ryan... Ryan is not wrong, ladies and gentlemen. It would have to be a little bit after that. For more relationship talk, tune in to Into You AMI podcast by our very own Fern Lullum. And Ryan will be back next Friday for another fascinating edition of the Chatty Bookshelf. Coming up next, we're going to be reflecting on conversations from the, the week of Kelly and Company on Cut for Time. As we near the end of the show at the end of a week, we'd love to do this, which is cut for time. And this is a segment where we reminisce, reflect back on conversations from the week and kind of get into some of the stuff we didn't get a chance to simply because of show timing. Uh, And then, of course, add in some, you know, extra conversation about that topic because it was significant to us. So we're going to start with Brock and your pick, but I have something a little different to add to today's uh, chat. And Grant Hardy is here to join us as well and give us his thoughts. So, Rocky, we'll start with you. So, having spent uh, half the week here with uh, you guys, my pick was when we spoke to Greg David on Wednesday about entertainment and what we're thankful for. In this clip, Greg talks about his love for the Batman films. Yeah, I was having to kind of dig deep on this because, of course, you know, it's easy to think, oh, what did I go and see in the movie theaters this year? Oh, wait, I didn't go to a movie theater this year because (laughs) of the pandemic. Uh, But but I've got to say uh, the Batman. So this dark reimagining of the DC character that was written by Matt Reeves and Peter Craig. Uh, it really ended up being a murder mystery that was really entertaining and, you know, and also, of course, a superhero movie. And I was pleasantly surprised by Robert Pat- Pattinson uh, as Bruce Wayne slash Batman. I thought he was just great. Um, Zoe Kravitz was fantastic as Selena Kyle uh, slash Catwoman. Paul Dano as the Riddler was great. Uh, the Batman was almost three hours long, and I, I think it was worth every minute of it. There was not like any downtime in the film where I thought, well, I can you know kind of pause this or just let it roll while I gra- grab a drink or a snack. I was engrossed in that movie the whole time, so I got to say the Batman. Whenever we have Greg on the program, his passion for TV and entertainment always comes through. And this holds true for uh, Batman, uh, as he talked about. And he put us to the test and asked us for our favorite films, books, things that we're thankful for uh, over the course of the segment. The thing that came to my mind during this segment was the fact that I think Thanksgiving is one of those lost holidays and the reason i say that is because when you look at uh, stores and and things like that we we almost skip right over thanksgiving we finish the summer and then we get into pumpkin spice we get into all that good stuff and then we kind of skip over uh thanksgiving and we jump almost right into christmas we 
we see the Halloween decorations come out now and a little bit before and then we almost see Christmas uh, jump through and I and I would even throw in Remembrance Day as being the forgotten holiday and for me it, it's a little disappointing to see that over time Thanksgiving has kind of been the forgotten holiday that people don't necessarily think about as often I know for me um, it's kind of changed a few times over the course of my 31 years of life when uh, growing up we would always uh, go to my aunt's house who would have you know great Thanksgiving and we would always do that it would always be at her house it was a staple we knew that that's where it was going to be and then uh, sadly my aunt passed away in uh, 2008 and from there we just sort of divided um away i think it was tough for my mom because my aunt always hosted um thanksgiving and we just kind of got away from it and it, it kind of makes me sad that stores have also sort of gone away from it as well in jumping from halloween to christmas and and it, it just got me thinking, Grant, and I'm curious what your thoughts are on Thanksgiving as a whole. Thanksgiving as a whole. Um, you know, I think, I mean, there's absolutely no doubt about it that if you compare Canada to our neighbors down south, like, Thanksgiving is a huge holiday for them. Maybe as much or more so than Christmas. I'm not sure, but it's for sure the day when you know your family from kind of all across the country gets together and i think that here you're absolutely right that it's maybe not as huge and is kind of going down in terms of importance and honestly i think a lot of that has to do for me it definitely has to do with a lot of the things that are coming to light now in Canadian history that are maybe not as kind, you know, things like our need for truth and reconciliation about, you know, our, our Indigenous peoples, uh, maybe to, to not glorify things like, like war or, or conquest or, uh, you know, as, as much, um, that's, that's, definitely a consideration for me um also I guess just in my personal life like I've, I've always had a pretty small family we do usually get together for Thanksgiving and we are getting together to take advantage of the long weekend but you know I'm not really a big eater or anything like that either so I don't really have those sort of holiday staples you know so I, certainly um, I'll take the day off. Like there's, there's no doubt about that. I'll take advantage of it. But in terms of being a, a big holiday, I'm, I'm sort of okay with it not being that huge for me. Hmm. I mean, it's, it's. Yeah, I guess when I think of holidays, I do think of Thanksgiving as one of the holidays. But it's not simply because we didn't have too many any traditions growing up my family like we're we're Sri Lankan Tamil we didn't have any uh, association with Thanksgiving other than the fact that it was literally a long weekend so it was nothing big uh, as I get older though I am becoming very sentimental in my 
late 20s. And it feels like I'm spending a lot of time wanting to celebrate Thanksgiving, wanting to recognize, I guess is the bigger word, um, and understand the the sentiment behind getting together, showing appreciation, and seeing people you haven't seen in a really long time. Um, I find that Christmas is like way too busy just with all kinds of stuff. It doesn't even have to be friends and family. It's just, I don't know, corporate sometimes. It feels like you got to get in fundraisers and all these other things done around Christmas time. But Thanksgiving is a little more low-key in a good way for me. And um, also, there's... My brother, his birthday falls around Thanksgiving, so it, it feels like a bit of a split um, split time of the year where Thanksgiving is half the conversation and the other half is, what are we doing for a choose birthday? So, like, it's still recognized. It's still something th- that falls around this time of year that helps us kind of get together. Not always Thanksgiving. Definitely not always, you know, the traditional turkey and all of that. Yeah, that's actually the same in my neck of the woods. My my brother's birthday falls oftentimes oh, right yeah? on the long weekend as well. So it's kind of an interesting uh, excuse, I suppose, to have that extra time just to, to get together. And my birthday falls right around Easter. So we're... There you go. Uh, I mean, Easter varies, of course, but often falls right around Easter. So we're, we're I don't know, maybe fortunate in that <laughs> Exactly. Give some attention to the holiday simply because of the birthdays. (laughs) Awesome. Well, guys, I mean, we're going to continue talking Thanksgiving. Um, I thought of bringing this up on Cut for Time just to get some space for it. It's a really interesting and helpful article written on seven ways to have a sensory friendly Thanksgiving. So if you are getting together around the Thanksgiving weekend and you're um, you're exposed to, you know, disability, people with disabilities being involved, neurodiversity, uh, all kinds of things, and just keeping it sensory friendly and inclusive is a great opportunity. And why not take in some of these um, thoughtful suggestions from this author. So one is plan in advance. Thanksgiving celebrations interrupt your usual routines, they say, and that's why it's important to plan way in advance and prepare for it uh, by considering some of these things. So examples of stuff that is routine that's going to be thrown off because of Thanksgiving long weekend and people getting together is your child might stay up later than usual. They might go to sleep later than usual and wake up at different times and therefore they're losing some significant amount of sleep. You're obviously or more likely to eat different kinds of foods and this is different. You're traveling maybe, you're going into different time zones, you're visiting different people, unfamiliar people um, to your child. There's different people coming into your home. If you're the one who's hosting, there's a lot of that happening as well. So these are all things that will really throw off um, people with different sensory needs. So ultimately, all these changes lead to extreme levels of stress in some cases, definitely an increased level of stress. And so they're telling you to prepare yourself and your children way in advance. If you're traveling to a different time zone, you can adjust sleep times accordingly, even by 15 minute intervals every day leading up to travel day. You can introduce and practice eating different foods prior to the day of so that there's some of that familiarity to 
difference <laughs> before you get to the point. You can also practice some social skills like how to greet family members. Um, and you can look at pictures and videos. I love this one. Footage of past Thanksgiving to remind yourself and encourage your kids. Hey, this is what Thanksgiving was like last year. Remember this? And try to implement some of that energy into what's coming up. Um, they're telling us to encourage playing Thanksgiving. And the reason why is children learn through play and practice many skills through play. And so it's really important to kind of get people in the roles of this is what you're going to do during Thanksgiving. Also open the space up to talk about Thanksgiving, give people the opportunity to ask questions and discuss the expectations around the holiday. Uh, any of you, either of you want to jump in with anything or shall I move to because the next one is about um, play like the actual toys and sensory abilities and things like that Grant so what I would like to say as a child who dealt with some uh, sensory issues around food is you know one traditional thing about the holidays is it tends to throw people off because you get together with family and the unspoken kind of expect expectation in most cultures, I would say it's pretty universal, is mm -hmm. you sit down at this table, you don't know what you're going to be served, but gosh darn it, you better be grateful and eat everything that <laughs> you put on your plate. And right. I would just like to throw this out there to the audience and parents, do not pick this battle with your kids. I think a better thing to do is in advance, if people are open, say, listen, can we talk talk a little bit about, you know, the menu, if there's some dietary issues, can we sort of figure this out in, in advance so there's not a big public meltdown? Maybe if the kid doesn't like the food, let's go and fix a sandwich or something mm -hmm. kind of in the kitchen for the kid. Let's not pick this big battle all the time in front of everyone that would just be my tip of the day absolutely and the the tip from this article was to bring familiar foods with you so if you know that your kid likes something bring that along for the menu because it's a little bit of give and take right if you're if you know your kid's going to be trying new and unfamiliar things that they may not be happy with but are potentially going to tolerate maybe uh, then also they get to eat something that you know they love and I love that idea and then uh, going to your second point about communicating ahead of time they uh, also mentioned to communicate your own sensory friendly Thanksgiving to family members ahead of time so giving people that quick heads up to make sure that others are on board a and be comfortable with what's going on you can send out an email or a text or even give people an orientation of the house when they arrive um, lots of different ways to get that communication very much open. So like you're saying, Grant, we don't fall into these um, weird and awkward situations where we're like, what's going on here? Um, and people aren't familiar with, you know, what you're, you're trying to create with the sensory friendly in mind. You can create some quiet rooms or space in your home. You can post rules or add a sign if you're going the formal route. But let children know that there's a space to take a break if they need it from that boisterous fun and noise. 
you can make it a complete silent zone. These are some examples. You can add comfy seating, dim the lights down, make it screen free or add weighted lap pads and other noise canceling earmuffs and things like that. Uh, you can even add pillows and blankets and just make it a zone of fun altogether, but just a different space that's quieter. Uh, also, along with this, incorporating calming strategies, maybe a walk before or after dinner, um, some movement and meditation or yoga, um, adding some toys around the house like fidgets or, you know, other things like that. These kind of things I love because you're straying away from the traditional, the formal, the sit down dinner that you mentioned, Grant, and you're saying, okay, let's keep it a little loose, a little more like open ended so that people with different needs can still feel like they're they're invited, they're welcome, and they're having a good time. Yeah, you basically you want to pick you want to pick battles over things that are actually important. You mm-hmm. know, um, you know, disagreements in your values or beliefs or virtues or whatever things that are sort of worth hashing out, not over. It doesn't like the salad dressing on the salad. That is, that's not something that needs to preoccupy no. people's time over Thanksgiving. Not today. And that's the thing, right? Like a lot of this article focused on the child, the children, but even for the adults, you're potentially in such a different headspace and different familiarity and comfort level than you're used to, especially after the pandemic, right? Like, let's be honest, a lot of us have not been doing Thanksgiving dinners. And therefore, if this is the first one in a couple of years, you're like, whoa, like this is a lot to take on and a lot of different people and new people maybe. Um, so it's over, it can be overwhelming for any of us. So I, I think these considerations, along with what you've added, Grant, are really great um, and and thoughtful to just take a step back and prioritize what's important and also what makes everybody more comfortable. Yeah, it's it's and, really valuable. Yeah, go ahead, Brock. It's it's tough enough for adults. It's it's even <laughs> harder for children when you don't understand what's going on and why this is happening. And why and such and such is doing this or that. Everyone has their ways of doing things. And I think we all have to be respectful. And I and I go by the motto of, is this the hill I'm willing to die on? And I think mm. that that's something <laughs> that parents need to take into account when doing their Thanksgiving plans. Awesome. Thanks for that, Brocky. And thank you, Grant. This has been a really lovely conversation uh, all about Thanksgiving on Cut for Time. Taking a break, coming back to wrap up the show and give you some teasers for the weekend. This is Kelly and Company. We're at the end of the show. Well, almost. I just want to give you some notes on a couple of things. Flag things for the weekend that you can check out if you're hanging out and listening to AMI-audio. But before we do that, let's reflect on today's show a little bit. Give you some podcast listens to check out. Brocky, highlights from the Friday show? Yeah, so I'm going to go back to uh, Karen McGee, her regional content report she was talking about some mps uh doing the social assistance diet and 
it was $46 um, per, per week of uh, groceries, and I can relate all too well to that. Uh, it, it is a scary place to be. I was a little unsettled when things were said, like, I'm just going to go to my pantry. As Karen said, that's not an option for many people. When you don't have a stocked pantry, I mean, I know I was opening my pantry and going, gee, I wish there was stuff in here and there's just not. Um, I think it was a, a very good conversation. I'm a little puzzled at how quickly it was noted by the, the narrator of the story. Uh, when you look at the news clip, oh, she'll just go back to her, her regular diet uh, next, the week after next. And it's like, um not that easy and for you guys just to sweep it under the rugs a little puzzling so i i do hope there's change but yeah it was a great segment yeah that was a really great conversation and you know talking about the book and the second story that um this family created the nicholson's to show gratitude towards uh, all the people who've helped them for the 500 plus days that they had to wait for their house to be built after a tornado wrecked completely and demolished everything. Oh man, uh, we had wonderful conversations today. Check out Kiss and Tell, which is an audiobook that's trending all over the place, co-produced by Kevin Hart. And that one is great because it's funny. It's real stories of dating disasters that people went through. And it was a really fun time talking about it on Ryan Huey's uh, Chatty Bookshelf. Also, I just want to bring back the conversation to the buzz with Bill when we asked Billy if he had a... Uh, cranberry flavored beer would he try it and the word i was looking for was rattler thanks jeffy and i just realized that uh, he had let me know about that so that's it rattler that's the the moment of oh my god i'm gonna think about this at 2 a.m and i'm not gonna be on air to share it with you guys <laughs> fulfilled now if you're listening to ami audio over the weekend you can check out some of these things catch healthy at home tomorrow at 9 a.m eastern that's Saturday on AMI-tv. Bobby Jensen is taking us through a thoughtfully described exercise routine to create strong abdominals and equal strength in both arms. This is a fun one. Saturday's long uh, Guardian Long Read on AMI-audio is titled The Clockwork Universe is Free Will and Illusion. So there's a growing uh, course of scientists and philosophers that argue that free will does not exist could they be right is the question to think about you can check out the latest release of low vision moments jenny bovard and her guest danny marie talk about all kinds of gaming shenanigans from driving friends off cliffs to annoying family members and elves back flipping out of windows that's, that's gonna be a good one you can find this episode called games people play on your favorite podcast platform and don't forget low vision moments is now available on youtube as a video podcast as well brocky it's been amazingly fun and very engaging spending the last three days hosting with you thank you for spending your time with us you're welcome. Always fun. And I look forward to doing it in the not too distant future. Yes, I think you'll be back. Let's uh, foresee the future and lock you in. Appreciate your time and talk to you later and um, have a great weekend. Long weekend. All the, all the best to you and your family for this long weekend. Thank you.
As we wrap up today's edition of Kelly and Company, let's take a head uh, a look ahead to Tuesday's show because we are off Monday. No live Kelly Co. airing then. Enjoy your Thanksgiving weekend with your uh, family, your friends. Be safe, be sound. But on Tuesday, when you get back, we're talking with nutritionist Julia Caranches, and she's going to give us tips on treating different types of headaches in a natural way. So not the drugstore options but some other ways to think about it uh, nhl is underway another season so we're talking with nick alberga he's going to preview the season and talk a little bit about his thoughts we're also getting to know um glitter all glitter is not created equally says bella strange the makeup artist and she's going to tell us why that is and another real fun thing to look forward to at the end of the month is uh, an accessible production of the Storyville Mosquito. We're going to learn more about that performance because it's very unique later on in the second hour of Kelly and Company on Tuesday. Want to give some shout outs and credits to our team members, producers along with myself are Jeff Ryman and reporter Grant Hardy, Marianne Dion Jones taking care of our community reporters. Our technician for the show this week has also been Jeff Ryman. He's been pulling all kinds of duties around here. Senior producer for the show is Matt Agnew. Hosting with me this week was Brock Richardson on behalf of Kelly McDonald. Live production manager Paula Deneen and manager of AMI Audio is Andy Frank. Have a wonderful Thursday night. Enjoy all oh, Thursday, Friday night. Enjoy the long weekend. See you back Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern time for Kelly and Company. Join me every couple weeks for the Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther podcast, where we learn about outdoor tech and tips. Plus, we look at news affecting the environment. AMI's Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther is available from your favorite podcast provider.